Hello everyone, welcome back to the fifth episode of State of Facilities Management in Southeast Asia FM Times podcast series that I've had the pleasure of co-hosting with the most amazing James Jazip as I've fondly started calling him JJ. Hey JJ, welcome back. Would you want to say hi to everyone? Yeah, hi everyone and yeah, really good feedback from our last um podcast episode four and uh, if you thought that was good i think this one's going to be uh, even better so yeah great to be back oh absolutely and great to be with you yep. uh, we did this improvisation from three c's to four c's which happened live as we were talking absolutely mate i mean uh, uh, this is interesting because this is where all of what we've been trying to do over the last few weeks kind of get together actionable frameworks so jj we've we've done the work of setting the context sort of trying to figure out why the urgent need for change and then figuring out what are the barriers which is where the four C's sort of come in and which sets us in a perfect shape to look at and talk about some of the things which can effectively be used as framework or actionables or at least starting points when when FM as an industry uh, facilities management as an industry or, or as a sector is going to be looked at. So I would like to start this episode series with asking you a simple question. Simple, but I'm sure the, it's, it's not going to be a relatively straightforward answer. What does an effective roadmap uh, look like to you when it comes to transforming the facilities management space, encompassing everything that we've discussed over the last few weeks? Yeah, and you always ask the, the tough questions. I'm always there ready to answer, of course. I mean, uh, if you look at you know, what we've discussed over the last four or so episodes, hmm. there is no simple silver bullet to, hmm. to having a, you know, an effective roadmap. But what we have identified is that there are a, com- a number of uh, key um, organisations, if you like, that play a really, really important part where you know customers and service providers both be able to get the, the best benefits out of facility management and you know a couple of episodes ago we spoke about the, the government and you know how they right. play a really important role and how that can actually fast track this more than probably anything else that we can do but the right. reality is that in southeast asia that is not always necessarily going to be the case so we can't rely on on government, right. but then you've got the importance of the FM providers. You've got um, not just the you know the, um, the traditional FM providers that we all know, mm. uh, but also there's a, a, a number of you know new emerging FM providers as well, which will really keep everyone very honest. They mm. have a key role to play, and we've sort of discussed on the previous role, um, sorry, the previous episodes that um, we all have a role, and and that goes down to solutions um resources through to you know the, the from the top level of any organization that it has to be supported from, yeah. from the top and then that can absolutely flow through customers customers play an, a really important role as well hmm. um so whilst there's going to be a lot of push from government a lot of push uh from the fm providers right and um, customers um it would be great you know as soon as customers start pulling for this change, this uh, transformation, mm. then that's when things will happen very quickly. But we know that um, you know that doesn't necessarily happen as fast as we would like. And I think then there's the fourth area, fourth, fourth um, body, mm. which is uh, the likes of the FM industry bodies. So the IFMA, mm. the Cornets, and you know there's many, many more. Right. But ultimately, they play a really important role in almost educating 
not only customers but also FM providers. Um, mm. You know, on on the the best ways to to develop and further the industry. So, in my mind, you know, the roadmap is is reliant on not just one or two uh, people or organisations. Actually, um, when they're all in sync, that's when uh, magic will happen and quickly. Awesome, man. I mean, that's a very valid point. So you're saying that that whatever roadmap that one draws, you have all these four stakeholders which are important broadly, and it's not just obviously uh, the onus does not completely lie on the FM company as such or FM facility management companies as such. Mm-hmm. But if I could just give an interesting uh, twist to this, I mean, I've always considered uh, I was part of an organization uh, called ISEC back in my college days and that, that's one thing we learned is that you you do things if, if the change has to happen then you try to influence it and then when I put myself in the shoes of FM leaders I think for them at least out of these four stakeholders that we spoke and if we speak about the facilities management as, as companies I, I mean I would say if, if we could if they could probably draw out two to three aspects as as uh, a key part of the overall objective that they might want to keep from the roadmap of what of change looks like. I think the three things that probably come to my mind is one is they would like to establish some sort of predictability in the in the revised process, saying that okay, whatever technology that we use, this is how the new process would look like and bring in some sort of a predictability in, in that. Not scale ready, but you know that you've tried things Tried, tried a host of things and you have some bit of idea on how things are going to be and then you are some in, in more than one ways you are then ready to scale it when needed so which is what brings to the point that you mentioned where the, the industry bodies have done their job the customers are asking for the change the government is pushing for it so you've just got the right kind of an environment and you don't know whether that environment comes two years from now one year from now or three years from now but what you do ensure that you're ready to tap into that environment as and when it comes. And the third, most important, that probably FM companies could do by deciding to change or by deciding to embrace innovation in a more organized manner uh, is to demonstrate that there is an alternate way of looking at doing the contracts. And that could also then kind of create the pool that customers that we expect from customers. So in the nutshell, you would have the FM companies demonstrating to customers that hey, here is a, is a different way of doing it. This is what you can save, but now let us know whether you want us to continue this at scale or at different contracts, so on and so forth. So I think those for me could be the two, three objectives if uh, I think of it as from the from a, like, an FM leader perspective. And then maybe just before we sort of venture into into four C's and probably would love to have your comment as well on, on this. And if we were to sort of break it further into an emerging FM company or, or, or market leaders, or leaders at least for now, the clear objective for leaders would be to take an unaccessible lead when you look at because they've done a lot of bits and pieces uh, over the last few years. Maybe they've got their central control and command center and, and monitoring and so on and so forth. But and, and they've stuck on it for quite some for quite some time. So I think if if you're talking about a leading FM company, then they might probably want to have uh, a, a more effective time-bound uh, roadmap to saying that okay, we get to stage where it becomes difficult for emerging FM companies to catch up with us. Any thoughts on that? Well, I think you raised a lot of a lot of excellent points there, and I also. I think it was uh, on a recent episode you you sort of spoke about hmm. or mentioned alluded to 
know, let's get comfortable being uncomfortable. And right. I think that's uh, probably one of the quotes of the, of the podcast, to be honest. Hmm. Um, and, you know, so if if organisations are willing to take a leap of faith, and that can be a, a leading FM company or it can be an emerging one, hmm. and they will be rewarded. You know, it, we, we all take calculated risks, but really the risks are very, very low when you really think about it. But it comes hmm. back to one of the, the C's that we mentioned around being comfortable. Right. And, right. you know, if you just remain to be comfortable because it's easy, well, right. obviously this is going to be, uh, you know, just take forever. Um, right. But, and, and, you know, what are some of the practical things that really make this move? And where I've seen it work the best is where, you know, the customer is actually informed and knows what they want. They've been, you know, um, listening to FM industry bodies. They've been listening to the um, the push from uh, FM companies year after year. And eventually they say, yep, yeah, we're going to do it. Right. Um, when that happens, that, um, and, and when they do it, they do it big time, right? They, they're not going to go in necessarily, um, you know, half cocked. They will make sure it's got everything. And that makes the FM providers very, very uncomfortable. I mean, we've all been in those bid, no bid meetings where we say, look at the terms and, and conditions of this um, you know, bid, look at the, the abatements and penalties. These are all, these all happen because it's forced upon the FM providers. Um, and it, most of the time, it's, it's actually in the best interest of everyone to do that. Um, where right. it does get interesting is when and if I can just bring in a, another, you know, group of organisations which you know have a role to play, mm. uh, and you've probably seen this as much as me, and that there are a number of um, consult FM consultancy companies that you know will right. go to customers mm. and say, "Hey, I'm going to guarantee you, you know, double digit, twenty percent plus, you know, savings mm. on your current right. baseline," and they create an environment which is just unhealthy. Um, that is taking it to the extreme. That's where things get a little bit messy. But if, mm-hmm. so long as it can be done in the best interests of everyone, and it can and often is, mm-hmm. um, this is when yeah the good stuff happens. No, sounds sounds good, man. That's a very valid point. In fact, they they definitely are part of the key stakeholders that you would look at, and and, and probably the fifth pillar in the entire scheme of things. But I'm so much fascinated with the four C's that we'll probably go back to them, and and our idea is going to be if we can cover two, three ways of handling all of those C's as a suggestion. Obviously, it's not a exhaustive list. There is much more that can be done, but uh, we will we'll take that one C at, at a time. So we would like to start with the most difficult one. We mentioned culture as one of the C's, the barriers to change. And, uh, you know, you've, you've worked across, uh, you know, big organizations across geographies and as, as you've alluded to some of your experiences. What are the two, three different ways you think that, and, and we can define culture in many ways, so I'll probably be clarifying what I mean when I say handling culture is saying, how do you prepare uh, your organization or a part of it for change because you're not changing completely, but you're just trying to uh, do that uh, slowly in, in, in the small steps. So how do you, what are the two, three things that you think JJ and FM leader could do while starting off with this transformative change? So the first thing obviously that comes to mind is how do I break it out to my people? How do I communicate it to them? Uh, and how do I prepare them for, for this? What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, you've uh, you've brought up the big one first. It's uh, it's tough. Mm. Culture is, mm. uh, you know, I think we were speaking earlier around you know, culture is not something you just sort of you know send out a memo say FIA our culture is this uh, effective tomorrow. Um, culture, <laughs> you know, is built up over several years, uh, right. and often even longer than that, and it sometimes can be embedded within the DNA of certain countries. So. Um, culture is a really tough thing to change we all know that but right. but having said that you know culture can change and culture does change mm. um, and it usually happens you know in this type of environment from from leadership and, and leadership from, from the top of any organization and if that leadership has the right vision and they're able to surround themselves with the right leaders as well mm. then that's when the culture does start to change and without that, you know, you really are just pushing and it's not going to go anywhere. So I, I think you know, that is really important. It's also important to get the right structure around those leaders. So hmm. when you look at, you know, what really does work in pushing this forward. And one thing that I've seen that really worked well is having an effective operational excellence structure in an organization, hmm. because that really is the incubator for innovation, for technology, um, and of course, it doesn't have to be a pure operational excellence function, but you know, you, you get the idea. Hmm. Uh, but if you have just a very traditional structure, as many organisations still have uh, today, yeah, um, yeah. then then the culture does not change uh, hmm. quickly or quickly enough. So, yeah. I mean, you could talk about culture for for every day, um, but you know, one thing for sure is that if you don't change, uh, the outcome's not going to be any different. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, going back to the my Isaac days, I mean, there was one quote that we used to we used to hear quite a bit, and that sort of resonates so much. It says, "It says that if you want to have something you've never had, do something you've never done." So you're saying operational excellence has been there as a role for quite some time, but hasn't clearly done the the job. What what I pick up from you, where you spoke about leadership and everything around that. So if I could probably put in a couple of points over there and saying maybe FM teams could A, find out champions both on the leadership level and both on the execution level and say, okay, but you know, we have a group of people, but out of that, can we identify some of them who could be early champions, who could help us navigate through or both from the strategy perspective to the implementation perspective and, and make a small group of team sort of from them with, with them in that sense. They could report to the operational excellence, but I would really like it to be a separate uh, sort of a group in that sense. And you run with them from, I mean, you could decide to run with them with smaller projects or a, or a, or a bigger size project uh, could be around anything but at least you, you get them and you run with them and then you widen that group as more and more people start to get influence, influenced within the organization. Not everyone would is pro change at this basis, but there are every organization has a group of people right from top to bottom uh, who who understand that there must be a better way of of doing things and there must be a better way of improving as individuals, not just as organization. And and, and finding them is the toughest part, by the way. But but that's the role of the leadership: find them, give them the infrastructure, and back them to to make those changes. The last part that I think JJ could be done when you are, as you rightly said, you can't just send in an email and say, uh, here is how we are going to do things from tomorrow, uh, is also have an effective upscaling and cross-scaling roadmap. Or at least, you know, show some decisiveness around it. Right now, if, you know, everyone knows that whenever we are going to be using technology, there is going to be a change in the way people work. Uh, things that some things are going to be automated. So, so I, the way I put it is that 
the people will start to work under ONM team especially would start to work in a digital first environment or a data first environment now you need some sort of upscaling and cross scaling to be in that environment so if you do that you are you cannot be 100% sure that you'll handle the culture change but at least you are probably taking the right steps or in doing that what are your thoughts yeah and i i, I think um you know another thing which is sort of unspoken in in the fm industry is that um we are the the quiet achievers you know we just get stuff done we mm. we make uh, magic happen and then we just keep on doing it day after day after day so mm. how we celebrate the successes how we effectively you know communicate that within the organization but also you know to our customers and the likes of industry bodies really you know is important in getting that momentum of change and culture change so uh yeah i think you know let's not understate the importance of effectively commuting communicating the great stuff mm-hmm. that, that happens each and every day mm-hmm. true that i mean i mean i think that's, that's a very valid point that it's not just in the internal communication probably communicating to all the other stakeholders that we spoke about 